I'm just going to read something to you. Right. As they turned the corner, the little three-year-old could see the dingy white warehouse that people crowded into 24 hours a day. Although she was just over three years old, the journey was a daily affair, and with the evening dampness in the air, she couldn't wait in to get inside the Azusa Street meeting place. Now a daily tradition, she would take in all the excitement that filled the room, marveling and wondering about all that was happening around her. Although the child didn't understand why people were shouting and crying, nor the miracles that were taking place, she liked the atmosphere. But what she liked most was that in a few minutes after entering the room, Mum would find a seat and she would be able to crawl under the pew, get comfortable and take a nap. This toddler had also become comfortable with the thick mist that filled the room. Being in a playful mood when she woke up from her nap, she would try to gather the mist into her arms. She loved the cloud that filled the Azusa Street warehouse for almost three and a half years during what is now historically called the Azusa Street Revival. It would be a few years before she was old enough to understand that she was trying to capture the Shekinah glory of God. As a mere child, she literally breathed the Shekinah glory into her young, developing lungs. She experienced Azusa through the eyes and mind of a young toddler. Although her mind could not comprehend all that was going on around her, she knew she was in a very special place among some very special people at a very special time. As she grew older, she would learn of the miracles and presence of God in the form of the Shekinah glory so thick during those meetings where she found comfort under the pew. That was over a hundred years ago. Now, I, um, I just want, a while ago, well, the last time I spoke, um, I can't remember when it was, I think it might have been in December, but I spoke about what are you cultivating? What are you cultivating? And I talked from Luke chapter 10. You don't need to turn there because I'm just... This is kind of just leading on from that, really. But I'm just going to flick there really quickly. Um, so this is when Jesus sends out the 72. And um, in verse 5, he says, When you enter a house, first say, Peace to this house. If a man is pe- of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If not, it will return to you. And what I shared about before is how this is one of those verses where I felt like, I kind of know what it's talking about, but I kind of don't really know what it's talking about. And for years it would be like, what is that really about? And it fascinated me. Now, what is it about? Well, it's describing a situation where a believer's internal reality, that internal reality that they are cultivating in their life, when there's a level of honor applied to them, has the ability to transform an environment just by them walking into it. What you cultivate, you'll recreate. Your internal reality will become the atmosphere that you bring others into. I am. Um, <clears throat> we're having an, a, a ground floor extension done on our house at the moment, and um, it's nearly finished. But the, the builder that's doing it. Um, He's uh, married to this lady who works with my wife. So we, we know them through kind of my wife's work. And um, so we, know, we kind of know them quite well. But it's also kind of like this work relationship as well as a friend relationship. So, um, but he, um, a couple of years ago, he had a motorcycle accident. And um, 
He's had all kinds of problems, serious problems in his body since then. And um, the other week, he'd had a problem with his left arm for a long time. But the other week, he started getting a problem with his right as well. And um, <clears throat> they, they said it was a problem with his C6 vertebrae. And um, the other day, I just said to him, look, can I just put my arm on your shoulder? And he was like, uh, okay. And so I just put my arm on his shoulder. I don't, I don't know if I, I can't really remember what I said, but if I said anything at all, it would have been, thank you, Jesus. It wouldn't have really been anything more than that. And so I just did that. And then I go, what's going on? And he goes, it's getting really hot. He's going, it's so hot. I can feel it burning through my body. And he takes my hand off and he touches my hand. He goes, your hand isn't really hot. And he goes, but it's really hot. <laughs> and, um, and then, then, my hand's on there for a moment more. And then he just, he hears this pop and he feels the bone move in, in, in his neck. And then all the pain starts to go. Um, now, a week later, which is just this week actually, I'm, I'm, working, I'm working from home one day and, um, and I'm trying to learn how to use this new editing software. And I'm just sat there and I'm like, just, you know when you're like in the zone? I'm, I'm having to concentrate really hard. And at one point I'm like, Lord, I haven't got to go out and release your presence on anyone today. And as I said that, he walks in the lounge and he says, Dave, can you do that thing again? At the exact same time when I said that, he said, can you do that thing again? And um, I was like, what's up? He looks so ill. His face is totally like gray. And he said to me, um, he said, I've got like nerve problem here. And I've actually had like nerve un- unblocking or injections or something like whatever it's called in the past. And he goes, it's so bad. It's actually agony and I cannot move at all. He goes, please, can you, can you do anything? And, um, and I'm like, sure. So I just, I just did the same thing again. Thank you, Jesus. It's the best prayer. Thank you, Jesus. And, um, and again, he starts feeling this fire going through him. And then he gets drunk in the Holy Spirit. He goes, I'm feeling really so lightheaded. And, um, and then he has to sit down. And I was like, you just rest for a bit. I was like, to be honest with you, I'm going to just carry on working because I actually don't need to do anything. God's just doing it in your body anyway. So I'm going to carry on working and God's going to continue doing it. He's like, okay. And then um, a, a while later, the color starts coming back to his face. And um, he, um, he's able to get up and move around. And it's still, it's still hurting, but it's, he's, he can tell he's got more, more mobility. And he goes, all right, I'm going to go outside again. And then 15 minutes later, I, look, I peek over and look out the window. He's doing everything. He's like drilling, he's bending down, he's climbing up and down ladders, he's completely moving fine. I see him later and he's like, it's totally better. But here's the thing. He came back, he came back a few days later and um, I said to him, how are you doing? And he goes, he goes you know what, I, I, I'm sorry, but it came back. And I'm like, it came back? He goes, it came back. And um, he goes, I'm sorry, maybe it didn't work. <laughs> Let's just laugh at that for a minute. The cross, the cross didn't work. Um, um, 
hope. Anyway, I didn't want to like, he, you know, he's not a, he's a pre-believer. I didn't want to like put too much on him and make him feel like pressure or anything like that. So we just, we then just had a bit of small talk and banter. And then I had to go to the shop for a little bit. On my way to the shop, I'm like, well, Lord, I know that's not the case. So what happened? And, and immediately God said to me, he had a bad report. He had a medical report that discouraged him. So I come back in, and a while later we're just having, we're having a chat again. And I just said, just out of interest, what day did it come back? He goes, Wednesday. And I was like, and did you have your um, medical appointment about the scan? And I, he goes, yeah. And I was like, what day was that? He goes, Wednesday. And I was like, okay, this is going to sound a bit crazy. But you were healed. And what I think's happened is you've got that scan report, and the scan was done before I put my hand on you. You've been discouraged by that report, and then you walked out of that room, and you've, the pain's come back. He goes, that is exactly what happened. And I said, do you know what I'm going to do? And he goes, what? I said, I'm going to release a double portion of encouragement and good news to you right now. And he goes, okay. <laughs> and, I said, and I said, I'm just really excited about how good this is going to be and how, how healthy your body's getting. And he goes, we're like literally on the other side of the room. It's like the big extension. Like we're on the other side. He goes, he goes, I can actually feel it getting better right now. And I was like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, said, I said, I just want you to know that this weekend I'm going to be celebrating what is happening in your body. And basically his body then just started to get completely better just for us talking. Now, God is developing an internal reality in me when it comes to healing that is changing environments when I come into it. And he's doing that to all of us. And even when I come against something which is actually staring me in the face and saying, you're wrong, it doesn't work, something didn't work, something went wrong, I'm like, no, you're wrong. (laughs) That internal reality, as as you cultivate that, and allow God to build that, will change the atmosphere, will change the environments that you come into. Now, that Azusa story I read to you, that was over 100 years ago. A few years ago, I was, I've shared about this before, but we were at Bethel when we were doing school there, and we stood in the glory cloud in Bethel with our kids. Well, one was, one was in the tummy, um, the other one wasn't. And I remember our, our eldest, he was, must have been two, just playing like that with the gold mist swirling around him. We, there is a level of glory that the church hasn't really got close to yet. So my question I always ask is how? You know, it's good to ask hard, hard questions. How and why is that the case? That's how you get to places you've not been to before. At that time, actually, when that happened, Bill and Chris, Chris Vallotton, um, they actually brought a word to, um, I can't remember whether it was to the whole church or whether they they actually said it to the school, but they actually said, we believe this isn't going to be just in this room like like it was with Azusa. We believe people are going to be out there on the streets and consistently the glory clouds are going to be appearing as people are out on the streets. And the crazy thing is, I'd actually had a dream of that exact same thing. I had a dream where my wife and I were walking out on the streets and we'd see people. And in one of them, I was holding a a baby outside a hospital. And in each one, all I did was say, thank you, Jesus. And the cloud would just break out over them and they were all completely healed. 
You know, Romans 12.2 says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, <clears throat> that, that word for transformed is metamorphosed, which means trans, also means transfigured. It's the same word to describe what happened to Jesus when he was transfigured on the mount, when he was transfigured into his glorious nature, his glorious being. So the renewing of our minds results in transfiguration. Colossians 1.29, Christ in you, the hope of glory. The hope is what? The hope is the confident expectation of glory. Christ in you, the confident expectation of glory. So put those two together. What does this mean? As I renew my mind, I become more conscious of Jesus, of the reality of Jesus in me. And that results in a tangible manifestation of Jesus on me, of his glory. I renew my mind to the reality of Jesus in me, and that results in a transformation of his glory on me. I'm actually changed. But the crazy thing is, and I'm going to come back to this verse in a minute, so you don't have to look this up, but in John 17, Jesus said to the Father, I have given them, us, the glory you gave me. Hang on a second. We're not just talking about a measure of glory. We're talking about the same glory the Father gave Jesus. The same glory. Now I think like for the past 30 years or so, it's amazing what's happening in churches around the world. It's amazing. But the church has been in renaissance mode. Right? We've been in renaissance mode. We're rediscovering. We're rediscovering healing. We're rediscovering prophetic. We're going to rediscover divine health. But there are also other areas these other rooms in the kingdom that we've never really stepped into. We've never really stepped into them. And I believe God is actually ushering the body of Christ. We're going to transition into a season where we go into new rooms. We go into new places. How do we actually manifest the glory of Jesus in our lives? That, that prayer that Jesus prayed, how does that actually happen? How do you grow in glory? How do you actually go from glory to glory? Well, first of all, we've got to give ourselves permission. We've got to make sure we don't just read these things and just see them as just words that we dismiss and we disqualify ourselves from. But <clears throat> if you have a Bible, you can turn to 2 Corinthians 3. Very familiar verse. From verse 7 onwards. Now if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, fading though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that condemns men is Glorious. How much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? 
For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. Quote, and if what was fading away came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it, while the radiance was fading away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. Ho! Wow. I must have read that a million times and not see what I properly really saw the other day. I just felt like God kept, every day I'd wake up, God kept telling me to go back here, go back here, go back here. And I was like, yeah, yeah, no, I know this one, God. I know this one. I got this one down. Give me another one. He kept sending me back there. Again. Again. I just didn't really see it for a long time. You know, one of the things that always confused me is the word reflect. Sometimes it's translated behold, but it's also translated reflect. I was always like, why reflect? Aren't we looking at Jesus? When I look in a mirror, I'm looking at me. That doesn't make any sense. Holy Spirit kept telling me to go back there. One day, I was just soaking one day. I wasn't thinking about this at all. I was not thinking about this. I don't think I'd read it for that day. And um, it just hit me. I just felt like God said, one of the smallest words here is the key word that you're missing. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory. All. He told me to look at that word, all. What's it talking about before here? It's talking about Moses and the Israelites. They couldn't look at his face, and because of that, they missed the revelation of God. Now, we're not like them, and we're not like Moses. We don't cover up the glory of God on us. We let it radiate. And so as we all do this, each and every one of us reflect this glory, we're transformed. So this, this is the crazy part. He's actually designed it so our transformation into glory and from glory to glory doesn't just come from each of us beholding his glory. So my transformation, Dave's transformation doesn't just come from me beholding his glory. It also comes from me beholding his glory on you. This is a huge deal. It comes from each of us beholding his glory on each other. As we see his glory on each other, that's the mirror. That's the reflection. 
as we with unveiled faces see the glory reflecting off each other, we go from glory to glory. Does this make sense? That's the mirror. That's what transforms us. As I come into contact with you, you are reflecting an aspect of his glory to me that I would not have seen otherwise. And that leads to my personal transformation. It's in community that we go from glory to glory. I'm convinced, actually, that the Bible is saying there's no other way. We will never fulfill that outrageous promise of Jesus in that prayer, the same glory you gave me, outside of this dynamic. We can't do it on our own. We are designed to be mirrors to each other, reflectors. Reflecting a facet of his glory that we wouldn't have otherwise seen. And then what? We get transfigured into the likeness of Jesus with whatever increasing glory. So if you want to become more glorious, if you want to go from glory to glory, you need to get around people. Why is this a big deal? It changes two things. Probably changes a lot more, but these are two things that I could think of. Number one, it changes how I see you. This, this takes the culture of honor to a different level. You are, to some degree, you are the glory of God to me. There's something interesting about the duality of that word translated reflect. There's also translated behold. As I behold Christ in me, which comes from a process of mind renewal, I reflect his glory to you. And as you see that glory on me, you become more like Jesus. That's got to change how you see people around you. That's got to change how you value them, how you treat them. You get transfigured into his likeness as a result of hanging out with me, and I get transfigured into his likeness as a result of hanging out with you. I'm just going to go to that. um, John 17, I think. First... 22. He says, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. He's talking in plural terms. I don't, you'll never find a Christian who will on their own display that measure of glory that the Father gave Jesus. But corporately, it's possible. Corporately, it's, he makes, we make it possible. We need each other to get there. Now, what's interesting about this is that when we realize that that level of glory is actually possible, but that it's only possible through community, it will motivate us to live in unity. And why is that important? 
Why is the unity important? Because, he says then, because then the world will know and believe that the Father sent Jesus through the unity. But he gives us the carrot of the glory to motivate us to live in unity. So that was point number one. Point number two is it actually, so point number one is it changes how I see you. Point number two is it changes how I steward what is going on in my life, my own life. And it changes the significance of that. I'm no longer just stewarding my personal relationship with God for myself. I'm actually doing it for you as well. When Paul said, Christ in you, the hope of glory, who was he talking to? He was talking, who is the you that he was talking to? It's the church in Coloss. He was talking to a church. It wasn't a singular thing. He was talking to a group of people. I believe he's saying, the hope of glory isn't in you or you or you. It's in you and you and you and you and you and you and you. The hope of glory is in each and every one of us cultivating something in our life and coming together. I'm responsible for your journey from glory to glory. And you're responsible for mine. Which means when we're plugged into a community together, what I choose to cultivate in my life actually has an effect on your, a profound effect on your relationship with God. You know, unity, I don't think we've really understood unity, actually. I don't know about you, but I've kind of probably always had a little bit of idea of it as a come by ya singing around a campfire kind of moment, kind of deal. In Ephesians 4, when it talks about the fivefold ministry, why does God give the fivefold ministry? Do you know what it says? Yeah. To prepare God's people to reach unity and maturity, which leads to what? The whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Unity. We're being equipped for unity for the fullness of Christ. The whole measure. Isn't that just what Jesus prayed to the Father? The whole measure. So my question is, what are you cultivating? Too many Christians are way too good at cultivating the wrong things. Stress, fear, addiction to social media, or an addiction to something else even worse, even more damaging. Bill Johnson says that what you tolerate dominates. Now, as these things dominate, they become building blocks to our internal world. And what we cultivate in our internal world, we recreate around us. If I'm, if I'm not cultivating on the inside a reality of his love, his limitlessness, his power, his kindness, his goodness, his peace. If I'm not cultivating that as a lifestyle on the inside, 
what do I actually have to give away to the world around me? What do I really have to give away to the world around me? Religion. Religion. A form of godliness but denying its power. What's pos- what would be possible if every single one of us determined to cultivate the right things in our lives? What could be possible? You know, when we come together in a meeting like this and we encounter God, we encounter His presence, when we encounter His glory, we encounter His power, God didn't just fall through the ceiling. What ha- Do you know what happened? We presenced Him to one another. He's in you. He didn't fall through the roof. There's a lot of songs that we've sung over the years that say that that is the case. It's really not. The heavens were open 2,000 years ago. They didn't shut up again. You are that open heaven. You are an open heaven. What happened is you came into a situation where something was said or something was sung and something, an awareness came alive inside of you of Christ in you. Your eyes were opened. You became aware of what was already present, what was already there all the time. All the time when you go to work, when you go to the toilet, when you go to the shops, when you're taking out the rubbish to the bins, whatever it is, that glory, that presence of Christ in you that is always there, at that point in time, you became aware of it. And corporately, enough people in the room became aware of it. Faith was released and you presenced him to one another. What would happen if we were all going 100% at that all the time? If every time I went to the post office, I was conscious of that in the same way. Imagine the greatest meeting you've ever been to. And you were that aware of God's presence when you went to Sainsbury's. You were that aware of God's presence when you went to work, when you did your internet banking, when you, somebody was shouting at you while you're stuck, while you're at a traffic light. Whatever it is, you were that aware 100% of the time. And then we came together? Oh my. The only thing that can stop heaven, the, there's no closed he, the only closed heaven is between our ears. Do you want to just stand if you're able to? I'm going to, I'm just going to pray. Father, thank you, God.